0: My name is Alan, I'm a compulsive reader, and uh, before I start, I'd like to take a moment of silence, just to focus, if you will, with me. Okay. Well, this program is really precious to me. I need to uh, share a little bit background, background, um, where I was, where I'm going, and where I am today, I guess. Um I came into oh, To me, the theme I like to share from my, when I share my story is hope, and I, for me that means hold on to the pain ends. You know, when I came into OA, I when I well, me, I came from a family composed of overeaters, an Italian Jewish family, uh, and I was I was the first born male of that my generation. Which, if you know anything in an Italian Jewish family, you know how important that is. Not only was I the first born male grandchild, but I was also born on my grandmother's birthday. So you could pretty much guess I had it made in the shade from the day I was born. Uh, she pretty much raised me. And I was also named after my, uh, her one sibling that didn't make it out of the, con- make it to America. He died in the concentration camps. And that was my uncle, A B. And people always ask, you know, well, how does A B and Alan have anything to do with each other? And they really don't. My grandparents gave my Hebrew name, which is Abraham Daniel Ben Nevida And you'll be testing on that later, so hope you're paying attention. Um, but the basically the English says Abraham, Daniel, son of David, and, and then I come from the line of Aaron, the high priestly lineage. And my parents gave my English name which is Alan Drew. No idea where it came from, but they liked it. And all growing up I was uh, the app of my grandmother's eye. they had saved all their lives, my grandparents, not when they would have kids, but when they have grandkids. And when I came along, we were, lived, it was Brooklyn, New York, and they had bought a house with a three-story finished basement and five bedrooms. We even had enough room in the backyard for a swing set, which is not very common in New York. And all growing up, my grandmother and my grandfather raised me, my great aunts and uncles. And my grandmother started a bank account the day I was born. One for my bar mitzvah when I was 13. And the other one was for my wedding, which I believe she had planned for 21. I can't say she had that planned out in detail, but she did send me my first date when I was 12 years old with a little girl next door uh, to see the movie Love Story. So I kind of think she had something planned there, too. But... During my growing up years, I was the apple of rod. I could do no wrong. We were very close. Um, I, actually, my, my sister came to visit one time, the younger sister, and everybody asked, well, tell us stories about Alan was a child. And they said, it, she said, it's disgusting. He was so well-behaved. Of course, she made up for it. But during those years, everything was wonderful. But suddenly, when I was 12 years old, my grandmother got ill and passed away suddenly. And within a year, my grandfather passed away, too. And all of a sudden, my parents found themselves having to be parents. And they didn't know how. Um, everything went smoothly until my bar mitzvah was 13, because my grandmother like to say she had planned out in detail. We had about 500 people there for the big party the next day. And then all of a sudden, my parents realized there's no more plans. And my mom got hooked on a prescription pain medicine and was just emotionally absent. And my dad became a child abuser. And I won't go into details, but let's just say he covered all the bases. Um, Physical, verbal, and sexual. And I went from being the apple of my grandparents' eye to the main recipient of their neglect and abuse. And the only way I knew how to cope with anything was with food. You know, they said, until I was four years old, I was very skinny, and then they took my tonsils out. They said after that, I didn't shut up, and I didn't stop eating. I could have gone my whole life without knowing that, but they managed to tell me that. And I started putting on weight. My parent mother was over 600 pounds. My dad was three, 400. I don't know exactly. And uh, food was life in our family. My, my mother cooked everything in a 12-quart pot. You know, and we didn't have, usually have leftovers. If there was leftovers, it mysteriously disappeared before anybody else, before you knew it. Well, I ended up graduating from school. Um, I've been studying since I was a kid. You know, first started school in yeshiva, which is a Hebrew parochial religious school. Uh, Start. I learned my al- 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 alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, right along with my English alphabet. And when I was uh, 17, I graduated a year early, and my family moved down to Miami, Florida to start again. Well, my mom kept saying, you know, things are going to be different, things are going to be different. Well, we all know, you know, that doesn't work. Things didn't change. I had a scholarship to go back to school, but I just couldn't do it right then. And I ended up getting a job, and the only job I can get, speaking fluent Hebrew, really doesn't qualify me for many things. So I ended up getting a job at a factory. And about a month before my 18th birthday, something happened that made a big, tremendous difference and changed my life. My mom and dad were having an argument. My dad was smashing a hard plastic cup over her head. That's not unusual because he had broken her ribs and other things before that. But what was unusual was my reaction. Next thing I know, he's down on the bed with my hands around his throat, choking him. I was bleeding from my fart off my arm, and to this day, I don't know how that happened. But I I do know that as soon as I realized what I was doing, I let go and ran into the apartment, hysterical, shaking and sobbing. Because the one thing I swore never be was like my dad. Well, three days before my 18th birthday, while everybody was sound asleep, I got in a paycheck to tell them about it. And I packed about a little bit of clothing and I snuck out about 5.45 in the morning where they were all sound asleep. Because I knew if they knew I was planning on leaving, it wouldn't have gone out there with both legs intact. And I also took the most important thing I had to have with me. And this is one of the things that qualifies me as a compulsive overeater. I took with me... My muffin tin. (laughs) I like making muffins, and I made really good ones. So my muffin tin had to go with me. Moved out on my own. They tried to drag me back home again. But, of course, at 18 in Miami, they couldn't do much of anything. And over the next year, I got a job working in an Italian restaurant, uh, just helping out around the kitchen. Turns out... I had a knack for food, and within a year they were training me to need to be head chef with three chefs under me. Who knew compulsive overeaters are good with food? Not me, <laughs> but I was. They said I could make dirt taste good. Um, but during that time, also one day when I was 19, I was coming home from work, and somebody, as a joke, yelled out their car window and called me Baby Yui. Now I don't know how many of y'all there, since I can't see anybody. No, Are old enough to remember who Baby Huey was. But Baby Huey was a cartoon duck, tiny little bonnet, extremely large diaper. And for me, it was the straw to break the camel's back because I remember going back to my apartment and taking a knife to my wrist and trying to commit suicide because I just couldn't face another day. Fortunately, God made me a coward. And uh, when I saw enough blood, I couldn't go through with it. I wasn't very happy about it back then, but today I'm very grateful for that, because I wouldn't be here otherwise. Back then, I just hated myself because I couldn't even commit suicide correctly. Well, when I was about 20 years old, um, someone I worked with, was one of the waitresses was a friend of Bill's, and she knew about OA, and she talked me into going to a meeting. I didn't want to go, had no desire to go go. I mean, I was not one of these people that were jumping on the diet bandwagon. There's only one diet I've done in my life officially. I mean, I've done times where I've tried to lose weight on my own by just eating right. But the only official diet I went on when it was in the restaurant, I had the money. I went to this doctor and he put me on the cookie diet. Two cookies for breakfast, two cookies for lunch, and a moderate dinner. Like a compulsive reader knows what a moderate dinner is, you know, in the first place. If I'd known what that was, I wouldn't have been in that situation. And it worked at first. You know, I mean they were okay. But, you know, they're cookies. <laughs> By week two, I was eating them within the first three days. By the third week they were gone the first day. And then of course I started getting all the w- getting weight right faster than ever. And the crazy thing about it is again that makes me a compulsive overreader is that At one point, one of the chefs that worked under me during dinner rush at this restaurant in Miami during the season when it was packed out the door with people hid one of my cookies as a joke. Well, that's all I was supposed to eat, and he had hidden it. Well, you should have seen me stomping out into the middle of the dining room yelling for the owner to come immediately and fire him on the spot because he stole my cookie. And I'm yelling at this this in front of all these people. Well, we turned out we didn't fire him. He gave it back. He made peace, but never did that again. Of course, I never did the cookie diet again either. But A friend of Bill's taught me to go to an OA meeting, and it was right near where I lived, and I showed up because I knew if I didn't go, she wouldn't leave me alone about it. I didn't want to go, but she was going to be persistent. I showed up at the location. The lights were off, the door was locked, and I thought, yes, I get to go home now. I did what I said I was going to do, but I don't have to go through this. And right then and there, this dear sweet older lady showed up in her car. She was responsible for turning everything on, and she was late. I don't even think she turned her engine off before she jumped out of the car and put her arm around me and wouldn't let me go till after I was inside in a meeting. Now, this was in the 19, what, 1980? 1980. 80s, early 80s, and back then in Miami, everybody was doing great sheet, except this one meeting. This was a 12-step meeting, and I sat there, and I kept asking everybody for the diet plan, because I figured that's what I needed. How else am I going to be absent? I need a diet plan, and basically what they told me was, well, we don't have one here this week. Come back next week. We'll go bring one for you, so I showed up next week. They gave me the same story. We forgot. don't have one right now. Come back next week. We'll get one for you. Well, before I knew it, I, was end up, I ended up a member. I mean, I had a sponsor. I was working the steps, and I was losing weight hand over fist. And I never to this day have seen the gray sheet. I don't think that was a great loss, but I never did ever actually see the gray sheet. Well, at that point in my life, it was time. To, I was working the steps. And it was time to take the third step. And I had to deal with my idea of God, and it, what I had wasn't working. And uh, when it came time to hit my third step, I ended up giving my life to the, to the Lord, and my life changed. I had to find find a different higher power or a different variation. And uh kept working the steps, and God opened the door for me to go to a college in Bristol, Tennessee, got their degree in Bible. Before I went there, though, I got a scholarship, and I made sure before I said yes that they had OA there. Well, I called. They said there were meetings. Got on the got on the bus. Got a ride up there. Got to sco- college. And guess what? The OA meetings had closed. Well, I didn't leave OA. OA left me. So I tried going to open AA meetings. And, uh, you know, back then they didn't know what a compulsive overreader was. They didn't know what to do with me. I wasn't very welcome. Went to al Oh, the ladies thought it was wonderful. They were all sitting around knitting and crocheting, waiting on their husbands, and they wanted to mother me. That was nice, but it wasn't getting me any recovery. The only thing I remembered is that I had to get off sugar. And I've actually been off refined sugar since 1984. But I have to tell you that I learned to eat everything else under the sun. Over the next couple of years i came i ended up graduating from college went moved down to Jackson Mississippi to go to seminary met my angel of a wife here she's, she's cheering me on in the background. she likes when I say that, but she is my angel uh we were married and uh about eighteen almost nineteen years ago now, I was diagnosed with a very rare liver disease, autoimmune hepatitis uh, very rare. Only people from, usually people from Eastern European background get it. The doctor said it's idiopathic, which means, uh, as he put it, this was his words, we're idiots, we don't know what causes it. And they gave me two months to live. They sent me home from the specialist from the hospital, and we were given four hours to. I said, go home and plan your funeral. Well, I had a lot of people praying, and my wife made me promise I wouldn't go unless they took her with me. And we don't do suicide, so I was stuck which I'm very grateful because 19 years later, I'm still here. But I used that as an excuse that I was disabled to keep eating. And I didn't even care anymore. I ate to the point that when I came back into OA, I was 562 pounds. I no longer could walk. I was in a wheelchair. I had help help getting dressed or bathing. And all I did was sit on the poor pity pot. I mean, after all, you can't blame me. I'm overweight because I'm disabled. I never thought of myself as being fat. I was disabled. Sounds so much better. Well, one of the things they told me when I became uh, was put on diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis was that I'd be put on which Most of you probably know it's a steroid, and long-term use would eventually make me a diabetic. And I said, "Well, I'm not eating sugar." I said, it doesn't matter. And they were right. March of 22, I went in the hospital and was given the gift of desperation. I was diagnosed as a diabetic and put on insulin. Because of my liver disease, I can't take any of the medications. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I was scared enough that I got back into program. Fortunately, L.A. was on Zoom because there's no meetings here in Mississippi. That I know about at least, and I started working, my pro- working the program, and I got abstinent right away. I've been abstinent 615 days. It's over 20, over 20 months plus I don't know how many days, and I've released. And I say released because if I say I lost it, I might find it again. But rather, I like to think of the weight having been released out of the wild, and somebody else can track it down if they want it. But I released two. I've released so far 279 pounds. Two more pounds and I'll be half the man I was. I'm no longer in a wheelchair. I use my wheelchair just like a desk chair because it's really comfy now. There's so much extra room in it. Um, but I get around with crutches only because I still haven't figured out how to bend my knee properly when I walk. I'm afraid I'm going to fall. So uh, we're working on some physical therapy for that I'm scheduled for after the first of the year. And everything changed. Not just the physical recovery. That's wonderful. You know, I'm wearing, just bought a pair of pants that were 24 sizes smaller than what I was wearing. I mean, who ever heard of such a thing? But it's the emotional and spiritual that's so amazing, even more amazing. You know, I used to ask God to help me lose weight. You know, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I thought maybe I was going to wake up in the morning, he was going to zap me skinny. I don't know that's been good, it's a great great thing if it works, but it doesn't work that way. It wasn't like God, the gift of desperation I was finally willing to ask God to help me to stop putting the food in my mouth. And because of the 12 steps, I learned to put food down and to live without like, using food as a crutch. It used to be the first thing in the morning I got up was I was worrying about what I was going to eat. And then I was going to eat after that, and what I was going to eat after that. And how much more can I eat? And what can I afford to buy? I don't have to live that way anymore. You know, I realized through the steps that food for me was not a problem at all. It was a solution. It numbed the pain. But it was a solution that was killing me one day at a time. And the only answer for me was working the program. It works if you work it. You put one foot in front of the other each day. Um, for me, that steps are simple steps one two and three i heard it he described in an open a meaning as i can god can i think i'll let him and i've learned to apply that to everything in my life because i can't figure it out yet anything that i can without his help and four five six and seven for me are the cleanup steps i think of it as having a house that's a mess with all the trash and the garbage in my life and it's time to go ahead and dust and clean and polish and put everything in bags. But if you know, if you like me, you know if you get everything together, but uh, you don't get it out of the house, it doesn't be any good. And that's where eight nine came in. It was time to take out the trash. Time to get right with the world and with life and with God. And ten through twelve is just doing those every single day. You know, one of the things I've just learned over the years, I hate making amends. It's no fun. And the only way to avoid it is by keeping my foot out of my mouth and keeping a short leash. Gentle reminder. Okay. And that means working 10, 11, and 12 each day. You know, the keys to this program, it's not very difficult. You know, it's... Uh, Doing, going to meetings. You know, some people say, well, I go to two or three meetings a week and they act like it's a big deal. I do 12 to 13. I'm, I can't. I understand everybody can't do that, but it doesn't hurt to do as many as you can because if you're at a meeting, hopefully, that means you're not eating. And doing service. I used to hear service was slimming. I've never figured out how service was slimming. But I do know if I'm doing service, I keep showing up. If I'm committed to doing service, I will be there. No excuses, no nothing. I said I'd be there. I will be there. And above all, I have to have the willingness to surrender. You know, steps one, two, and three. I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. You know, if I can't do that, I can't work the rest. And I want to share one more thing with y'all. You called me at a good time because about a week ago, Two weeks ago, I got out of the hospital. I had sepsis and pneumonia. And the doctor told me that I was there in two weeks on IV antibiotics. And I asked the doctor, and he said, if I had still been 562 pounds where I was 20 months ago, I probably wouldn't have made it. This program is a program of hope. It's a program of life. It's a program that gives me back choices in my, in my world without being focusing all the time on the food. When I was in my disease. The disease ran everything. Today, it, does, it doesn't anymore. Today, food is just food. And it's not because of anything I did. It's my higher power and uh, working this program. You know, I tell newcomers that, you know, just put one foot in front of the other. Like a little kid when you're learning to walk, yeah, you're going to fall down some. Expect it to happen. It happens. But what does little kid do? They pick themselves up and they try to keep going. Before you know it, not only are you walking, you're running. And that's the magic, amazing part about this program, the miracle. For today, I'm alive and I might not have been. I would have either died from the pneumonia or I would have killed myself with food just at the rate I was going. When I lost so much weight, I amazing how many people have come to me and said they were just waiting for a phone call from my wife to tell me I'd had a heart attack and died. Actually, some of them were in tears when they saw me after not seeing me for quite a while. This program works if you work it, just one day at a time. And I don't mind having my phone number on there. My name is Alan Kay. My phone number is 601-942-6975. It'd be good if you text first, that way i know you're not a salesperson. They get crazy. But I, I always try to answer calls, and if I can't get to you right then, I'll get back to you soon, and I'll pass. Thank you. How do I turn myself off?